You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 22. The title of this psalm is, Why Have You Forsaken Me? The subtitle says, To the Choir Master, According to the Doe of the Dawn, a Psalm of David. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you 
comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before Him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. Father, I ask that you would come and I ask that you would come and do at least one thing. As we open your word together, I ask that you would take the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth, and use them to do good to your people and to bring honor and glory to you trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 22. This psalm has been referred to by many writers as the psalm that is beyond all others, the psalm of the cross. And as we read it, we should envision Jesus crying out for help as he is being crucified in verses 1 through 21. And then we should envision Jesus making a proclamation of praise all the way to the ends of the earth immediately following his resurrection, verses 21 through 31. In my estimation, as I studied this psalm, I believe that this psalm is perhaps one of the most descriptive pictures we have of what was going on deep down inside the heart of Jesus, as well as what was actually coming out of his mouth during his crucifixion and resurrection. Before we dive into the meat of the verse-by-verse study of this, I I want to note on the front end two very important pieces. I want you to notice the opening words. Verse 1. Notice the opening words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the exact same words used by Jesus in Matthew 27, 46, as he hung on that cross. I also want you to notice now the very end of the psalm in verse 31. I want you to notice the words where the psalmist says, They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Catch the final words, that he has done it. Those words, he has done it 
so closely reflect the final words of Jesus on the cross when he proclaimed what? It is finished. That's where we get to land when we get done today. This psalm really is the song of the cross. We get to hear Jesus cry for help from that cross. And then we get to hear his proclamation of praise from the empty tomb. I want you to think with me through verses 1 through 21 as we take a look at Jesus' cry for help. Do you imagine Jesus, he's, he's past the betrayal of his friend Judas. He's past the arrest in the garden. He is past the false accusations, trumped up trials. He's carried his cross out to the hill of Golgotha. They've nailed him to the cross and he's hanging on that cross. He's hanging from his nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet. And he's crying out to his heavenly Father. He's saying, where are you in my grief? I know that you're the holy deliverer of my ancestors. and Can't you see that, that I'm under heavy persecution? I don't trust anyone except you, Father. My enemies have wrongfully accused me and they're wrongfully tearing me to pieces. You are my only help, my only deliverer, my only savior, my only rescuer. Let's take this a phrase at a time. God, where are you in my grief? Verses 1 through 2. So this is the heart cry of someone who feels completely abandoned completely alone, absolutely despised, totally rejected, 100% betrayed by all those who should have loved him. These these words are, are the depressing words of someone who feels like they've lost more than just their best friend. This person... Jesus, he's lost the closest relationship that he's ever enjoyed. And he keeps crying out to his father. He keeps calling, he keeps begging by day and by night, and all he's getting is silence in the midst of his aloneness, and his soul is so torn up that he can't find any rest from the sense of being completely alone. next thing he says is, I know that you are the holy deliverer of my ancestors. Verses 3 through 5. See, in the midst of his absolute loneliness, what Jesus does is he remembers that Israel in the past not only trusted God, but you'll notice the psalmist says it three times, they trusted, they trusted, and they kept on trusting. You know what that feels like? 
you trust and you trust and you just know you have to keep on trusting. Israel in the past trusted, trusted, and kept on trusting God and all of his holiness, all of his perfection as they cried out to him. And what did he do? God. He eventually came through in his own timing and he rescued them. And that then resulted in what? Their vindication as well as their praise towards God. Sometimes it's hard to trust and to trust and to keep on trusting when it seems like God is silent. When it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Notice the next thing that Jesus says in verses 6 through 8. He says, can't you see that I'm under heavy persecution here? You could say heavy abuse. It's not just that Jesus felt completely alone. Jesus also endured the heaviest persecution and the heaviest abuse known to man at the cross. He was so scorned and so despised by everyone that he felt less than human. He said, I'm a worm, I'm not even a man. You know what that feels like when you're facing something and you're like, I don't even feel human anymore. I feel like a worm. Everybody mocked him. They mocked him as they ridiculed him and as they made fun of him for not getting himself out of the horrible predicament he was in. You ever had somebody make fun of you because of your failures? Rest assured, Jesus was made fun of for his perfection. made fun of him. If he was God, if he truly believed in God, he ought to get himself out of this. In this case, I can see Jesus looking down from the cross and all of his love for humanity. I think for us as humans, it's, it's easy for us probably to recognize that sometimes it's the people that you trust and you love the most who hurt you and mock you and abuse you the most. Jesus was perfect. And he faced the same things in his flesh that we face. Think about the next thing that he says. I don't trust anyone except you, Father. Verses 9 through 11. I think Jesus remembers that God has been with him since before his coming in the flesh. Okay, When he says here that God is the one who took me from the womb and made me, I love that phrase, and we'd spend a lot of time there, but if you want to think about the sovereignty of God, made me trust you at my mother's breast. What, what, what he's doing is he's pointing to the fact that even in the miracle of the Incarnation, or, or in the miracle of the fact that Jesus is God who was born in the flesh. Even in, in all of that miraculousness, Jesus and his Father had enjoyed an eternally unified relationship forever. Okay, Not like it ever started somewhere. It's always been. It's hard for our finite minds to comprehend because we have... Starting lines and ending lines. 
And yet, Jesus and His Father enjoyed this relationship forever. Eternally connected. It was something that no one could tear apart. Nobody had the power to tear apart. Except for the two of them by choice. The only person that can actually be free to choose apart from the effects of sin is God. Jesus knew better. Jesus knew better than to entrust his heart fully to any broken human being. And yet, at the same time, in an uncanny way, he still gave himself away fully to and for every human being. That's a theologically profound concept that makes my head spin. Jesus knew the trouble of the cross was at hand. He's on it. And the only person he can trust in that moment of his crucifixion is his heavenly father. Broken human beings will always let you down. I will always let you down. Broken human beings will always let each other down, regardless of stature, regardless of title. That's what makes our Heavenly Father look so beautifully attractive. That's why we worship Him, right? It's one of the reasons. He's absolutely faithful. He's not recklessly faithful. There, I slid it in there. about the next thing he says in verses 12 through 18 he says my enemies are wrongfully tearing me to pieces so when jesus speaks of the strong bulls of bashan in those verses 12 through 18 who have surrounded him with their wide open mouths they're like roaring lions right he talks about the dogs who have surrounded him they've pierced his hands they've pierced his feet what he's talking about is he's talking about very powerful religious leaders the people that jesus had trouble with in the scriptures were religious leaders like you and me they had turned on him they had incited all of the jews to turn on him in the crucifixion most scholars would say that the dogs in this passage are the Jews. The bulls are the religious leaders. And Jesus' life is being poured out in front of his enemies. His bones are out of joint, right? His, his heart is growing weak. I don't know how much more I can take of this, Lord. You ever said that? His strength is wasting away. I can't bear up underneath this pressure anymore. Feel the pain in every bone of his body as he hangs there naked. We are so cleaned up in the church today, especially in America. I mean, the image of the cross has been so sanitized 
by a little towel over the midsection. Heaven forbid if we were to offend. The cross itself is an offense. Hangs there naked, bearing the shame of our sin while his enemies gamble for his last earthly possessions. Think of the last thing he says hanging on the cross in verses 19 through 21. He says, Father, you're, you're my only help. Ever reach that point of desperation? Where you just finally realize that any of your earthly trust and any of the earthly things, humans or, or others, no one's going to help you. Get to that place of desperation where you feel that. And you say, Father, you are the only help I have, my only deliverer, my only savior, my only rescuer. It's in his final moments of life on this earth, what Jesus does is he cries out. He cries out to his father one more time. Think about what he says in Luke 23 through 46, and I think you'll see he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is a statement of absolute trust. Here in these verses in 19 through 21, he says, Please do not be far from me as I die. You're the only help I have. Please come to me quickly. Deliver me once and for all from these powerful dogs who have surrounded me. Save me from being torn to pieces by my enemies. You are my only help. You are my only deliverer. You are my only savior. You are my only rescuer. It's his final confession of faith. And then Jesus takes his final breath. And he dies in my place. Now, I want you to imagine the resurrected Jesus. I want you to imagine the resurrected Jesus. He gets up and he leaves the tomb empty. And he walks out and he's proclaiming praise to his heavenly father and he's doing it throughout the entire earth in true missional form as he joyfully shouts hey god you are my helper right you are my helper you are my deliverer you are my savior you are my rescuer wow i will lead others to praise you as the deliverer of god that you really are I will praise you and be fully satisfied with you, Lord. All of the earth is going to praise the king who has done what? Finished the work of salvation. Man. Look at this first statement. God, you are my helper. You are my deliverer. You are my savior. You are my rescuer. When you look at the final portion of verse 21, you examine it. It acts like a hinge on a door. The final phrase of verse 21. Acts like a hinge on the door. And that door is now closing on the room of the crucifixion. But simultaneously it's opening into the room of the resurrection. Read it that way and think about what's happening when he says, Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then it changes to a present tense. You have 
rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. This is the victorious shout of praise from the lips of the resurrected Jesus as he proclaims the finished work of salvation and the power of God in the empty tomb. Listen to me, y'all. Satan's sin and death have been defeated and the power of their weapons, just like the loud roar of the lion and the piercing horns of the wild oxen, they've been completely destroyed. <sighs> He says, I will lead others to praise you as the deliverer of God that you really are in verses 22 through 24, right? Like the finished work of salvation at the cross. The vindicating power of the empty tomb. This now leads our Savior, the resurrected Jesus, to lead his brothers and his sisters, all who have been or all who will be saved by the power of his justifying work, to praise God. And stand in awe of His miraculous power to save those who once were afflicted by their enemies. Satan, sin, and death. Here's the truth that's awesome in this. God does not hide Himself from those who truly seek His face through the message of the cross and the empty tomb. He doesn't hide Himself. He shows up. He shows up in miraculously powerful ways. Think about his next statement. He says, I will praise you and be fully satisfied with you, Lord. Verses 25 and 26. When you think about satisfaction, this side of heaven, where do you look to find satisfaction? I think satisfaction can sometimes be connected to our vision of what wholeness looks like. Wholeness in your family, wholeness in your friendships, wholeness in romance, wholeness in finances. Now, wholeness is not wrong. We must always recognize and understand we are seeking something whole and complete in a very broken world. And we are very broken people. So it doesn't take much longer than 15 minutes for us to become Christians and then immediately flip into this weird place of idolatry. We begin to worship and praise a sanctified and perfect version of this life rather than praising the king himself. True eternal satisfaction comes only from experiencing what it means to be rescued and to be redeemed from the affliction of Satan's sin and death. A true praise of our heavenly Father, that's the direct result of God's redeeming work in our lives. That praise is not just something that individuals do, although it is that, it is more than that. True praise is something that all of the redeemed community does together. All who fear God and seek Him will praise Him. Think about the final statement that Jesus makes 
verses 27 through 31. He says, All of the earth will praise the King who has finished the work of salvation. See, the proclamation of praise that comes from the lips of our Savior in the room of the empty tomb, that was never meant to be contained just inside the walls of some special little church building somewhere. The proclamation of praise was meant to extend to the home, to the town hall, to the school hall, to the pool hall, to the break room, to the gym, to the gas station, literally to the ends of the earth throughout every nation, every tribe and tongue. There is a reason we do not have an American flag on our stage. Here's the reason. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God in a country called America. So we lift high the name of Jesus, not the nation we live in. I would want every believer from any spectrum around the world to be comfortable walking in here and say, this is an outpost of my kingdom, the kingdom I'm, I'm part of that was bought by the very blood and broken body of a king that I serve. Amen. To the ends of the earth. And you look around this room. Our elders just did a project the other night where we worked through all of our financial supporters, donors within this church family. And what we did is we just worked through it basically going, okay, we're pretty sure this person's here. We're pretty sure we're doing the best we can, right? Trying to figure out how's our church going to get sustained financially. We're doing that. Here was the beautiful thing that came out of that as we were doing the work. We were writing down all of the different uh, professions, educations. I, do you realize that we are in a very diverse room? I mean, the funny thing is, if you look around the room, you see three bikers, and here you go, it's a biker church. Well, a little pedestal real quick. You know, bikers actually have jobs. Okay. <laughs> 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 like, we're not just bikers, just like you aren't just a factory worker, like, just like you aren't just a gas station attendant, right? Or just like you're not just a bank teller or... I mean, when you look at the diversity, even in this small room of people, it'd blow your mind, right? I can't even begin to name them all, but just from memory, right? We got, we got teachers. We got farmers. Um, we, got, we got different ethnicities around this room, okay? Uh, we, 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 have, uh, we have pastors, okay? Uh, we have ministers. We have cell phone people. I don't know what cell phone people call themselves, but they're cell phone people. And they sell cell phones, and they fix cell phones, thank God. <laughs> you know? I mean, we got factory workers, we have retirees, we got homeschoolers, we got public schoolers. Golly! That, to me, seems um, like a picture of heaven, an outpost of the kingdom that we belong to, in the midst of a, um, is it appropriate to say, uh, uh, a hostile environment? I mean, if you take the perfection of heaven versus the brokenness of earth and sinfulness of earth stance, there's other ways you could probably look at this, but I just, boy, it blew my mind when I thought about that. I remember for us as a church family, when we first started out in our living room, it was just my wife and I and four other people, right? And then from that point forward, it was like a really big, stinky youth group for a long, long time. Right, Andrew? <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, it was horrifying sometimes. And I was like, man, you got, 
I, I, I hope this is a... Can you remember the night when uh, somebody took off in your truck, or maybe you took off in the truck, Andrew? Remember that? And the neighbor across the street came out and was angry, and then when we talked to him... Yes. yes. Now, he sold the house since then. I think his daughter is living there now, but... We did Fourth of July get-togethers in our front yard, and we got our cases ripped because we lit them off after midnight, too. I remember that. I mean, there are so many stories I could tell you about our time in planting a church that now sits here, is now made up of these people, and it's you know, highs and lows. But at the end of the day, we are not a representation of the nation we live in. We're a representation of the kingdom we've all been bought and paid for to be a part of. Every living human being is meant to hear the proclamation of the gospel of the crucified, risen, and returning Christ from the lips of the truly redeemed as they proclaim that God has done it. It is finished. So in conclusion, do you know what it's like to cry out to God for help while feeling like he's miles away? Have you felt what it's like um, to not have anyone that you can trust except God? Because everybody here on this earth has either turned their back on you or is actively trying to hurt you? Do you know what that feels like? Here's the beautiful truth that can heal those wounds. It can speak life into those places of death inside of you. The beautiful truth is that Jesus felt completely abandoned and he was completely surrounded and he was absolutely desperate and he was totally overwhelmed at the cross and here's the beautiful truth he experienced all if you hear nothing else please hear this he experienced all of that so that you and i would never truly have to be alone. He experienced all of that so that you and I would never have to experience what it means to be truly and completely alone. He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always got your back. He's running ahead of you, and he's coming behind you. If you trust in him, his spirit lives inside of you. You never have to be truly alone. Do you know, do you know the triumph? Do you know the joy? You saw how passionate I got when we flipped the page into the resurrection. You guys look like scared deer in headlights. That's what you look like. I'm just telling you. Like, what is going on? I just, I've waited for that door to swing. I've waited for that moment in this message to preach that moment. It's like a, a bottled up roar of energy. I get the privilege and the blessing as a pastor to, to get paid to sit and ponder and pray about moments like that. And sometimes... Sometimes the firecracker inside of me is far more than anybody else ever expected. But maybe it acts like a bit of an example of what it looks like to take literally 
20 hours of your week and ponder that swinging door. Literally. That's a blessing that I have. What if you all took the next week and pondered deeply the emotional effects, the spiritual effects, the physical effects, the relational effects of that swinging door as you recognize the cross and then the empty tomb. The joy and the triumph of being rescued by the risen Christ is sometimes relegated to child's play or appetizers before the main course. Have you experienced the overflowing fountain of praise that erupts when you realize the power of the cross and the empty tomb? Do you know, not know, but do you know with your whole entire being what it's like to be so overwhelmed with the saving grace, knowing how deep, dark of a sinner you really are? fact that God has withheld from you what you actually really deserve which is what he took on that cross the mercy of God the fact that he has withheld from all of us if we've trusted in Christ what we deserve have you experienced that to a deep emotional physical relational level that you just can't stop shouting it from the mountaintops. Or some other message taking its place in your life. See, as long as children are still being born, Psalm 22 should send us out to the world, right into our places of influence with the good news of the crucified, resurrected and returning Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me. Father, I ask as we close that you would lead us to the foot of the cross. Plop us right in front of the doorway of the empty tomb. Help us to find rest and healing. this in your presence. Help us to remember once again what it is that we actually celebrate. That we celebrate the truth that you are the justifier of the inexcusable. There's no excuse for our sin. No matter how loud our sin is, or how quiet our sin is. There's no excuse for it. And yet you came. You gave yourself horrifically at that cross so that we might be excused from the table. Fully filled. Fully satisfied. Fully healed. Fully justified. Help our hearts to rest there as we close. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 